You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Today's episode is on the topic of habits, and we are joined for the discussion by Alistair McCaw, who has just written a terrific new book called Habits That Make a Champion. Alistair is that rare person who excels across disciplines and industries, In addition to being an author who has sold over 300,000 books, his podcast ranks in the top 1% in the world, and for the last 25 years, he has also consulted and worked with Olympic gold medalists, Grand Slam champions, Fortune 500 companies, NCAA colleges, and professional sports teams. And you'll hear him mention many of these organizations in our interview. Some of the highlights from our discussion were his thoughts on the importance of developing healthy and positive self-talk, the stories he shares about Michael Jordan, Michael Schumacher and Roger Federer to explain the importance of being coachable, and the idea that obsession is a common trait among top performers and this mindset helps them develop great habits. And just a quick message from me to say that if you want to improve your own leadership skills, You can reach me and another member of the team, Grant, at elevatedleadership.com.au, where our goal is to coach you towards the leader you aspire to be. And now, please enjoy our interview with Alistair McCall. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. 
Alistair McCaw, good morning and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Well, good morning to you there in Australia. It's a good evening from Florida. Well, actually, why don't we start there, Alistair? Tell us where you are in the world and what you've been doing so far. Um, at home in uh, in Boynton Beach in Florida, which is about 20 minutes south of West Palm Beach, uh, about an hour north of, of Miami. Um, it's funny, they say when you when you live in Florida, you start in Miami when you're young, young, and then you gradually make your way up the coastline the older you get. So I'm uh, I'm getting higher and higher and higher. You know, you go from Miami to Fort Lauderdale to to West Palm Beach and 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 more north. So uh, I'm making my way up. Just had a birthday on Friday, actually. So, um, but great to be back. It's always nice to be back at home in in Florida. Um, just returned from the UK as well, which uh, w- which was nice as well. But um, good to be on the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Well, Alistair, we've been chatting over the years, and I'm a big fan of the work that you do. And, of course, I, I love following you all around the world as you travel to some of these these great sporting organisations, and I'm hoping one day a, a job might open up as a assistant and I get to come along with you and meet some of them. <laughs> but but this interview is not about me. It's it's uh, I really want to get into you and, and the latest book that you've written, which is, a, which is a terrific read. It's called Habits That Make a Champion. And I wanted to just start with a really simple Question: What was the impetus to put this book out? Well, uh, if I look back at, at, at when I started in 2016 writing, um, my first book was Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach, and that was a little bit of my journey in in my coaching career for for 25 years. Um, however, there was a demand for uh, for a book for athletes, um, for players and athletes and teams, and I remember as an athlete growing up. Uh, in South Africa, playing a lot of sports. And of course, this was pre-internet times as well, where it's just super easy to look up something on the internet and get the answer instantly. Uh, you know, I, I always struggled to find good books to read that could help me with the mental game and help me with preparation and motivation and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, there was books out there already, but they were, you know, very scientific in terms of how the left side of the brain thinks and so on and so forth. And, you know, as an athlete, I just wanted practical answers as into how do I deal with nerves? How do I prepare for uh, for a race or, or for an event? How do I deal with maybe an opponent cheating? All these type of things that can happen when you play sports. But I just wanted simple answers. So that was um, the brainchild to, to me writing Champion Minded, uh, which, which is, uh, I would say, the bigger brother to Habits That Make a Champion. And Habits That Make a Champion is really a continuation of 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 champion minded where it's in a very simple easy way to read it's 50 habits uh everything from you know the habit of good preparation the habit of of great self talk the habit of consistency all these type of things that can help um any athlete of of any level so that's that's where the idea came from um also i would say with habits that make a champion this the one of the small differences is I've learned to listen to this generation better. As we know, the generations are changing all the time. And, uh, you know, I believe that the two most important things you can invest in as a coach or a leader are the generational codes and emotional intelligence. Those are two key areas I believe that every coach or leader should be investing in. But with Habits That Make a Champion, it was really uh, simple, easy to read, uh, things that can help every uh, level of athlete and um, I believe it's making a, a great impact already. So most grateful for that. Well, I'm going to talk to you about 
some of the habits that resonated with me as we as we move through the interview, but something very high level to begin with. And I I, I know that you work a lot with elite sports people and also elite organizations. But very simply, why are habits so important when it comes to success? Yeah. Well, one of the very first quotes in the book, and I have a lot of quotes in the book, are, is from John Dryden, where he says, first we make our habits, then our habits make us. And there's a reason why that is the very first quote in the book is because it's very powerful and it's very true as well. If there's something I've noticed in the most successful athletes, performers, people in the corporate world, entertainment, etc., is that they simply have better habits. It doesn't mean all their habits are perfect. Uh, they're they're human like us, where, where you know you make mistakes and and there's maybe one or two poor habits, but they're more consistent with their good habits. They've developed habits that have helped them uh, achieve uh, uh, successful um, successful things and and reach a high level. And you know, habits are something that really are. Uh, conscious in the beginning um it's not easy to to rid a, a bad habit uh, uh, for one i love my chocolate uh after dinner in the evening and that's that's a habit that i've had to cut down a little bit as well um so that's just a simple uh, ex uh um, example of of a habit but i would say that's that's really what it comes down to paul is successful performers high level athletes uh people that are successful in the business world for example simply have better habits and they're more consistent at those better habits. Alistair, is there an example you can share with us of a story of a person or a team who was able to improve their performance by taking a fresh look at their habits and perhaps even instigating some new ones? Yeah. Um, in my line of work, I'm, I'm very fortunate to consult and work with uh, various teams and um, colleges, universities, and individual athletes as well. So if I was to use one example, let's go from, from the tennis world uh, with a player I worked with for four years between 2014 and 2018 was Kevin Anderson. And um, Kevin reached number five in the world on the ATP tennis rankings. He reached the Wimbledon final in 2018, I think it was, where he lost to, to Novak Djokovic, which is no shame there. Um, and then he also reached the final at the US Open where he lost to Rafa Nadal, so you know two players that that are uh, that have their pocket full of of Grand Slam titles. But if I look at Kevin, um, you know when we started in 2014, now he was a very already a very disciplined uh, player. Uh, I respectfully say that he wasn't the most talented player I've worked with. And why I have so much admiration and respect for that is because he was someone that had to work five times, ten times harder than any other player that that I'd worked with, and I'd worked with. Um, the number one player in the world. I've worked with uh, uh, 14 Grand Slam uh, champions as well. But Kevin stood out for me because he was someone that had to maximize everything he had. Um, you know, basically, Kevin, I believe if he hadn't have developed great habits, and I'm talking from sunup to sundown, um, and he took ownership of them. That's, that's another thing as well. He took full responsibility of it because I can't be there 
24-7 watching over him, for example. But, you know, from his wake, wake up time to the breakfast that he the breakfast that he would have, um, you know, he'd, he'd prepare his breakfast with different seeds and nuts and all these things for a good 10, 15 minutes to make his cereal every single morning before he had come to practice. He'd do his his uh, pre rehabilitation work, which is your foam rolling, your stretching, your your mobility work. Um to leaving on time for practice, to being there well on time. His warm-up was 45 minutes. It was very detailed. And I can go on and on and on. And these are what we talk about world-class habits. They're they're difficult to do. Um, they're monotonous. You know, this this is something that he would get up and do every single day for, for years. So um, that's an example of a an athlete that was already a good player, but was able to take himself to good to great through developing better habits and being more consistent in them, for example. Uh, you know, I always always like to say that the the average do it sometimes, the good do it most of the time, the great do it all of the time. And that is something that, that Kevin took himself from being good to great, from doing it most of the time to doing it all of the time. And uh, that's an example, I'd say, from an individual athlete uh, working with teams, um, one of the teams I worked with just pre-COVID was Paris Saint-Germain, uh, the French uh, the French football team. Um, I worked with some of their coaching staff and performance team as well. And uh, already a very successful club, of course, uh, in, in the world of world of football. But some of the habits that we changed there, there was just the consistency in communication, um, collaboration. Uh, developing small habits on a daily basis that helped them function better as a team because you know you're dealing with 20 30 backroom staff in in one of those those big teams um you know they have seven physiotherapists they have four sports scientists you know they just have a host of of people so um changing the habits in terms of uh uh learning how to communicate better learning how to co collaborate better um uh working together as a team uh, being more self-aware uh, of 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 themselves and also socially aware, which which is important. Um, so those were changes that really uh, that really helped uh, the backroom staff, so to say, of of Paris Saint Germain. Alistair, just listening to you, I'm wondering when do habits become obsessions, and does that line at times become a problem? You know, Conor McGregor, um, who's obviously very, very well known in the uh, UFC and uh, fighting, says, you know, that the best are obsessed. And I think it was also Steven Gerrard, the the former Liverpool captain and, and England captain, who, who also said, you know, every single day I was obsessed at practice. I had to be the best. I had to win that next tackle. I had to, to you know, outwork uh, my teammates, even though my team they were my teammates they're still in a way opponents for me so you get to you get to understand the the mindset of a of a champion and the, the obsession they have with developing great habits and being consistent as them and, and i'm going to probably use that word um quite a lot in this in the show is just consistency it's one thing having habits but the more consistent they are that the more powerful they will be and the more um positive outcomes and results results that you'll get but if i look look at myself paul um when i was a former athlete i i competed in five world championships in in duathlon 
and I was two-time national champion. Uh, it, you know, if I look back at it now, it's crazy to think what I would do. And, and I was obsessed um, every single day. Uh, I, I would think about it 24-7. Uh, you know, I'd, everything I'd put in my mouth food-wise, it would be, is this going to make me take me closer to my goals? Is this going to take me closer to a world championship or further away? So that is a, a kind of obsession. Um, you know, I didn't have fast food for years. I even remember on Christmas Day at, at my parents having just lean lean chicken and rice while they were having, uh, you know, the traditional roast beef and and the gravy and everything else. You know, that's that's obsession, and those are those are habits that that I built. Um, you know, anybody that's reached a, a very high level in anything, Paul, uh, does have some type of perfection, does have some type of obsession. Um, they have very highly disciplined habits uh, because in all honesty, there is no other way to the top in a particular field without having those, those traits. Well, let's talk about one of those traits in particular. And in the book, you talk about the importance of being coachable. And you give the example of Michael Jordan, who said that his greatest skill was being teachable. Now, why is being coachable so important? Um, you know, if, 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 if I see what the difference is between, again, we talk about good and great athletes is that you can be very talented. Um, you can be at a very high level, but the only way you're going to improve is your ability to be teachable, your ability to be coachable. And I think it was Steve Kerr of, of the, um, of the Warriors, the NBA team. And back, I th think this was back in 2016, 2017. I could be stand to be corrected when they won, I think, their second um, NBA title, uh, consecutive title. And they asked Steve Kerr, uh, who's, you know, for me, one of the, the standout coaches in, in not just basketball, but in sports, uh, what made Steph Curry so, so good? What was it about him? And, you know, Steve Kerr really put it down to one, one answer, and he said he's just so coachable. No matter how good uh, Steph becomes, he still wants to get better. And you know, he he asks me questions at every practice. He after practice, he asks me, you know, how how did I do? Um, what can I do better? How can I get better? For example, and that's something in that I actually mentioned in the book, habits that make a champion. Paul is that the best. Uh, demand feedback they don't just wait for it from from their coaches or from from their their managers they ask for feedback and that's the only way that you get better that's the way you speed up the process of becoming better at at a certain craft or what you do is that you're asking for feedback um and that's what i've seen in some of the best athletes as well you know just talking about kevin the the um the tennis player he would be someone that would be continuously asking questions uh, another passion of mine is Formula One. And, um, you know, Michael Schumacher, of course, is undoubtedly one of the greatest uh, drivers, if not the greatest driver. And, you know, he took a, a poorly performing Ferrari. And they said he was crazy going to Ferrari because, you know, the car was always breaking down. It was always it was always trouble. And he, he made that a championship winning car. And one of the qualities of Michael was that he was very uh, curious. He was very inquisitive. He, th they said that he knew knew absolutely everything about the car. The feedback that he was able to give his team 
um, you know, after taking the car out on the left, that's what made that car so good. And that's what made him such a great driver is that Michael was coachable. The Steph Curry's were coachable. Uh, the Roger Federer's, for example, as well. And gosh, I have so many stories that I could go into. Um, and I know we're, you know, we don't have all the time in the world, but uh, I remember being in Dubai um, a few years ago and Roger trains uh, in, in Dubai, used to train in Dubai in the off season uh, while he was still playing. And I was working with a a player there who was actually number two in the world at the time, uh, Svetlana Kuznetsova. And Roger was practicing next to us every single day. So I got to see Roger's practices for basically two to three weeks every December. Um, and I always just being, I was always just amazed because at the time he was number one in the world. And I think at that stage he'd won maybe 15 Grand Slams, 14, 15 Grand Slams. This is a few years ago. And, you know, there he was. There was a lot of talking in the practice and he was just asking questions. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? How do I improve the drop shot? How do I improve? How do I do? I was thinking this guy's number one in the world and he's continually asking questions and wanting feedback. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not sitting back. And that is what makes these kind of athletes such a standout is that we only see them at, you know, Grand Slam Sunday final or, or the World Cup or whatever it may be. But we don't see what goes on behind uh, the scenes is that these athletes and these high performers are so coachable and they're willing to listen. And, you know, this is this is something that I try and pass on to university athletes and college athletes who are sometimes not that coachable um, is that is the key to to taking that next step and being the best that you can be. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One of the other things that caught my eye in the book, Alistair, was, was this line. And you say, quote, you're not born mentally tough, you choose to be. It's a skill that is learned and developed. And I don't know why it caught my eye. I guess I thought mental toughness was actually something that some of us are born with. But I was really fascinated to hear the back end of the sentence where you say it's something that could be learned and developed. So when you work with our athletes, and you just talked about college athletes, and when you work with them to develop this skill, what are some of the things you do together? Yeah, you know, everybody comes from from a different background, different values, different beliefs. Uh, um you know, some people come from very privileged backgrounds. Some people don't. Some people come from more difficult backgrounds. So, um, you know, definitely your upbringing molds you in terms of who you become. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, you don't choose your upbringing. You don't choose the first, uh, whatever it may be, 15, 18 years of your life. You're at home and the way you're brought up with your parents and so on and so forth. 
Now, you know, we could argue that point to to an extent that, uh, you know, if you're brought up with a lot of adversity, obstacles, and we've seen that a lot of great athletes like Simone Biles, the gymnast, and LeBron James were brought up in very, very difficult homes uh, where they had to fight for everything, and that's what's made them who they are today. And, and you know, that's why you see they're just so determined and so focused and such tough competitors. So they've had, without choice, they've had those upbringings that that's made them resilient that's given them a lot of grit that's given them a lot of um feistiness to be to be great at what they do but there comes a stage in your life where you do get to choose um your attitude every single day regardless of what adversity that you've been through you do get to choose um how resilient you're going to be we all get that choice at, at, at the end of the day you know i remember growing up in south africa i i would do cross-country races and and you know track and field and I remember competing against some of the really um, uh, poor areas in, in Johannesburg and Soweto and these type of places where, you know, some runners, uh, you know, some athletes would pitch up with no shoes and we'd be running on really, really rough terrain and thorns and stones and glass and so on and so forth. And, you know, they had no choice, for example, and they were and they were just great competitors. They were tough competitors to compete against. And then you'd see, you know, maybe the kids from the more privileged schools uh, pitching up with the new Nikes and, and Asics and all these nice, nice things. But, you know, um, they would just really just be outrun by, by the rest, for example. So, you know, your upbringing does mold your, your, your mindset. It does, uh, does mold your self-discipline. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to be brought up in a, in a highly disciplined home and also school as well, where, you know, small things like making your bed. And that's something that I write a book uh, about in the book habits to make a champion is the importance of making your bed. And we know there's that very, uh, famous video online as well, uh, from the general McRaven, I think it was, um, of the importance of making your bed. Uh, it was actually quite funny, uh, Paul, because I, I had somebody send in a, a on Instagram, a photo of their, their child's bed made with the champion minded book on top of it. Um, saying that, you know, thank you. It's taught our, taught our kid, all these, these kind of lessons. And for me, Paul, that's why I do it. You know, if you ask me, you know, why do you write these books and, and what gives you the motivation? It's to see those type of things, um, that I'm, I'm making an impact and making a difference on, on, on other people's lives. What have you learned along the journey, Alistair, about, building healthy self-talk habits. And I ask this question because I watch tennis players and they lose a point and they sort of, you see them sort of castigating themselves, almost yelling at themselves. And it, it, it always intrigues me, like, how do you bounce back from that so quickly to then play the next point? And these are people that are at Wimbledon, you know, and on the world stage. So what have you learned about self-talk and making it more healthy? Well, that's a great example because one of my first loves, Paul, was tennis, but I could not control my emotions and I was just the worst on a tennis court. You know, I'm talking when I was 12, 13, 14. And again, probably one of the reasons why I probably needed the book Habits to Make a Champion back then, but I didn't have it yet. So um, all those experiences of I couldn't control my my emotions and my self-talk would be poor, for example. So I've been there. I know what it feels like to be in that mindset. Um but, you know, developing developing better self-talk is one of the most powerful um, things that you can do. 
you know, I always like to say that the most important conversation you have with yourself is in the morning in the mirror is it already starts there. The moment you wake up, what are you, what are you saying to yourself when you're looking in the mirror? Are you going to those areas that you don't like? I don't like my nose. I don't like my ears, this, that. Well, what kind of way of that is, is that to start your day? In fact, I even have, um, some stick it notes on my, on my mirror at home, which, which, um, you know, we'll have things like, uh, win the day and, uh, you're awesome. And I know that sounds all cheesy and so on and so forth, but you know, our mind is such a powerful thing is that we can have negative thoughts can control us so quickly and can, can overcome us. So it's important to have those, uh, those cues or those visuals. Um, so to say, first thing in the morning, that's worked, that's worked for me, but you know, you can talk yourself in or out of almost anything. Um, it's another difference in, you know, the world's best performers. And, you know, when people say to me, you know, what is the one thing that makes the best, the best athlete? I said, there is no one thing. There is so many different things, but definitely self-talk, the power of self-talk and your ability to overcome uh, negative thoughts. You know, they, they, they asked Tiger Woods, um, you know, when he was dominating in the early 2000s, uh, you know, what he felt made him such a, a great golfer. Now, again, years and years of dedication, of discipline, of practice, of repetition, monotonous repetition every single day. But he said it was his ability to forget the last the last shot. Um, you know, that's what a, a, a powerful mindset is. And, and, you know, we can sometimes uh, have our self-talk uh, defeat us after a poor shot or uh, something we've done in 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 a in a match or or a game, for example, and we take that to the next point and um, you, you know, well, you know, self talk is is really for me. It's it's one of the most important things on a daily basis to being confident, to having self belief, to having a a, a powerful and, and positive self image comes down to your self talk. Another idea I was intrigued about in the book was this one about taking a history lesson to rebuild your confidence. Simple idea, but very powerful. Could you could you tell us about it? Again, it's it's something that I used to do as an athlete. Um, you know, we didn't have internet back in the day just to go look up something, uh, to go on Instagram and get some powerful quotes or, or etc. Um, so when I'd be lacking confidence, or I maybe had a poor race. Uh, or I just wasn't feeling motivated, for example, I would look at old photographs. Um, you know, back then, there wasn't many videos going around. There wasn't, I don't think YouTube was around yet. Uh, so you just couldn't see. Uh, I'd, I'd like to look at old photos of me, maybe um, at a race I'd won, holding a trophy or, you know, on the medal podium to remind myself that I'd done it before and I could do it again. Because again, and that's why I love your previous question, self-talk we can talk ourselves in and or out of anything and knowing as an athlete that when you're out of uh sport maybe because of an injury or illness um you can start to talk yourself out of things oh my gosh i'm losing fitness oh my gosh what's going to happen when i get back am i still going to be as good as i was and you know that these you know this dialogue in our head can can defeat us and can uh can pull us down so um you know i always love that expression is is take a history lesson, go back to uh, some of your most proudest moments, your highest achievements, your best achievements. And that will just remind you that you have been there before and you will uh, 
get there again you know especially if you've lost confidence or or you've lost your mojo so to say Alistair, you've been around elite sport for a long time now and you talked earlier about some of the champions you've worked with and you've also seen others up close like the uh, roger federer example you gave but i wanted to ask you what watching these obsessed people or you know we used that word earlier people with a d- deeply ingrained habits and also far-reaching goals goals that many of us will will never aspire to but what has this taught you about the quest for perfection um you know it, it you know you've got to be passionate to be successful in something you know it's you're not going to be successful in the long run if you're not passionate about what you do or that you love what you do and the fact that you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you'll love it all the time that you feel motivated all the time you know i loved i loved what i did and in, in terms of sports but did i wake up every day and feel excited about it or motivated about it no um you know that's where a longer term goal or or purpose gave me um gave me that that motivation but you know the quest for perfection is i believe something every high performer has is that good is not good enough uh, they want better, and that's what's made them uh, who they are, and that's what's taken them to a high level. However, the downside, and you know, Brené Brown speaks about this quite a lot as well, is that perfection can ruin you. Um, you know, a lot of the time when I consult with the athletes of a very high level, they are perfectionists. Um, they want they want everything perfect. They want everything just right. But that can be something that obviously can. Uh, can affect their performance as well. So a lot of my time is is helping them and providing the tools of how they can let go of, uh, not completely let go of perfection, but to learn how to to channel that, to learn how to control that. Uh, you know, one example for is is you know a perfectionist will be very disappointed after they make a mistake. So let's just use a tennis player or a golfer for example. They hit a poor shot. And it affects them. Um, so they focus on that. And that's something I try to help them with is, you know, when they're in the, the heat of, of competition is that they focus on the good things as much as possible, more than the bad things. Now, it's good to, you know, if you've made a mistake is to correct it, to maybe spend five, 10 seconds in terms of thinking, what would I do there next time? But uh, especially in competition, that's where you have to keep a positive mindset and keep focusing on the things that you're doing well not on the things that you're doing poorly. So that's just an example of uh, of being able to control perfection, so to say, uh, when competing. But I've seen many an athlete, and especially junior level, uh, 15, 16-year-olds, just be really just uh, overcome by perfection that, that, you know, they just can't get over the fact that they've, you know, made a mistake or not won a, a, a match or a tournament, for example. And it's um, it can be uh, very, very tough to to watch my favorite part of the book though alistair was towards the end and i i know i messaged you on this when i was was reading through it it's i don't know how this surprises you or not but it's the habit of surrounding yourself with the right people it just connected with me perhaps because you know we've we've, we've moved country and we're rebooting our friendship and our life and i and i really like this idea of the right people making sure that people around you that, and we can all define right in our own way but i'm would actually be more interested in hearing from you and what routines you use to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with the right people. I think it's important to know what your values are. 
what what you look for in a relationship or relationships. Um, you know, I always love that quote by by Jim Rohn, who said, you know, you become the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, if you actually sit back and think about that, uh, who are those five people I spend the most time with? The obvious ones would maybe be your family, but I challenge you to maybe look outside of that as well, of who maybe three or four other people are that you spend the most time with. Are those people that align with your values? Are those are those people that you'd like to be like? Do they motivate you? Do they inspire you? Um, those are important questions to ask yourself. And again, you know, uh, Paul, when I speak to university students or or high schools or even elementary school, it's one of the one of the things I really try to bring across as much as possible is think about the people that you spend your time with because that's who you will become. Um, you know, another great, another great quote, and I love my quotes, as, as you know, probably on Twitter and Instagram is um, uh, you become, the, you become the people you spend the most time with. Uh, and that, that is true. Um, you know, so, you know, sometimes in life as well, you know, I always believe we change every five years, you know, we, you know, our, our experiences of what we've gone through changes us as well. And sometimes we have to let go of certain people in our lives that maybe don't align with us anymore. Or, And I've experienced that the older I get as well, um, you know, some people drop off and you add new people and, and so on and so forth. But the ultimate goal is, is, are you becoming a better person? And you can become a better person by choosing to have better quality people in your life. From better quality people, which I know can be subjective and objective and very difficult to do, I think to, to, to reform groups is very difficult. But I'd like to just finish our discussion today with a topic that comes up towards the end of the book, and you've actually alluded to it in this interview too, and it's the habit of self-discipline and the importance of controlling your emotions. Now, you talked about that being a challenge you had when you were a younger person, and there's many of us yeah. that would love to be better at self-discipline and also I can think of numerous occasions where I wish I was uh, better at controlling my emotions whether that's in the boardroom or at the family dinner table but is it something that can be coached and if it is what's the one or two things we could be doing tomorrow to get better at it I believe the key to self-improvement and self-development is self-awareness your ability to self-reflect and this is something I do each evening. Um, I ask myself three questions. Uh, the first one being, what did I do well today? What could I have done better today? And who did I make better today? Those are the three simple questions I ask myself, which take no more than maybe 30 seconds or a minute to, to, to answer. But through that exercise on a daily basis, I'm self-reflecting on conversations I've had, what could have maybe, what I could have maybe have handled better. I was maybe abrupt on the telephone today or to the lady behind the counter at the post office, for example. But that is the way that we improve ourselves. So how we better ourselves, that we're aware of how, of our actions, of our words, of our behaviors. And sometimes it can be a very difficult exercise because it might be something you're not proud of that, um, you know, that you couldn't control your emotions that day, for, for example. And, that, and, you know, we are all like that. Um, you know, I might write books on positivity and motivation, but I'm like anybody else. Um, I can lose my temper sometimes. I can maybe say things that I regret or handle a certain situation that I knew could have been handled better. But um, the power of improving yourself 
of um, of self-developing is the ability to be more self-aware. Uh, so I would definitely, definitely go there. Alistair, it's been terrific chatting with you. I feel like we could keep going, but perhaps we'll save that for another day. The book's called Habits That Make a Champion. It's a great read. I'll put all the links to it in the show notes, as well as your terrific Twitter feed, which I am not a huge social media user, but I do enjoy checking yours out. And there is some great quotes and ideas in there that, that we can all use on a daily basis. So Alistair, great to connect with you again. Thanks for your time and good luck with wherever you're traveling next to in the world. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure being on your podcast. Keep up the great work. And, um, you know, if I just look at the list of, of guests that you've had on this podcast, it's just, um, I'm, I'm humbled to, to, to be on here. So thank you so much again. Thanks, Alistair. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to Alistair McCaw talking about his new book, The Habits That Make a Champion. I hope you got a lot out of Alistair's engaging style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Daniel Parr, who said, I was at a US seminar some years ago and the keynote speaker was a highly decorated US Navy SEAL. And this was exactly the type of thing he was talking about owning and defining the issues, sharing these with your team and coming up with solutions. No one gets left behind. Gosh, thanks, Daniel. We love the interaction with people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then let your friends know too. All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. 